I'm going to read a passage from Mark. It's a single verse. And we always have to be careful with single verses because they often get weaponized. I don't want to do that today, but I want, to, I want you to hear these words. And I've chosen a particular translation of these words because of the way a particular word is translated. And they came to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are sincere, and you show deference to no one. For you do not regard people with partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with truth. So, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Man, let me set the stage a little bit. Jesus does not live in a world free from politics. Jesus lives in a world nasty with politics. There are multiple parties at work, and they are not separate from religion in Jesus' day. You have a Sadducee group, and they run the temple. And there is corruption at work. And by that I mean, if I can talk to you, and because of my relationship with you, I can get something that somebody else can't get, that's corruption, right? But this is fiercely corrupt. It's the extraction of wealth from vulnerable people and putting it in the pockets of people who are pretending to be on your side. So there's the Sadducees group. And then there's another group of people called the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees are the rabbis, the teachers, the keepers of the synagogues, and they got a political agenda too. The problem is that their political agenda is different than the political agenda of the Sadducees, and neither one of them's being who they really are. They're all being two-faced, and they're all corrupt, and they're all trying to get something for themselves, and that's just the nature of politics, folks. And the world that Jesus lived in was much more vicious in its practice of politics than the world that you live in and that I live in, even though it feels pretty vicious today. This is a trick question. And what this question is designed to do is to get Jesus to align himself with a political party. That's always dangerous. He won't do it. But the question that's being asked has a platform underneath it. You see, the Sadducees do not believe that there is anything after this life. They believe when you die, eh, that's it. And that the purpose of religion is to please this God, this apparently fickle God, and... Get whatever you can get while you're here, because after there's a here, there is nothing else. And that belief is going to create an ethic, a way of living, that involves a kind of sellout. The Romans have occupied this land. We don't know what that's like. But... The Romans are an oppressive outsider. They are extracting wealth of their own. They are vicious in that extraction. And if you don't believe that there's a life after this, 
self-sacrifice isn't really part of your equation. So it's what do we need to do to appease these people to make it as comfortable as we can. And it really doesn't matter if I got to do you wrong in order to get what I got to get, because there really isn't anything after this where I might be judged for it. So for the Sadducees, just pay your taxes, and then we'll get what we can get in the what's left. Now the Pharisees believe, yes, there is a life after death. And by the way, all of Judaism as we know it today comes out of that Pharisaic sect. They, they believe in a resurrection of the righteous and a judgment at the, on the last day and a separation of the righteous from the unrighteous and those kinds of beliefs, okay? But they believe that there is a higher thing. There is another thing. And that other thing, that greater good, also creates an ethic. And their belief is that, that we should rebel against this Roman authority and cast this Roman authority off and we should not be paying taxes. Now, if Jesus says, if Jesus answers this question in the vein in which it's asked, he will forever be aligned with a political party and he will lose legitimacy. You understand what I'm saying? 50% of the people will then say, oh, he's a hack. He's one of them. He knows what's going on. And these people are carrying up to Jesus something that might be called flattery. Jesus, being a teacher of biblical things, would have been very well versed in the Proverbs, where it clearly says, flattery sets a trap for your feet. The only people who flatter you or lift you up high are just lifting you up high in order to get a clearer shot at you, folks. Okay? So, when they bring this forward, what they mean for evil, God uses for good. So even though they're saying these things about Jesus in order to be manipulative, what they're saying is actually true. Now let's go back to what I laid the groundwork for. Remember, God is love. And Jesus is that love working, walking around. What does that look like? How does that move in the world? When it speaks, what does it say? So when we look at this, these are descriptions of Jesus. So they're descriptions of love walking around. Jesus called you into discipleship. You may think you chose Jesus, but I'm sorry, Jesus chose you. Jesus called you into discipleship because Jesus believes that you can be just like him. That you can take over where he left off, not you individually, but us together as a body can become his body. That we can be like this. So they start out this little bit of flattery by saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere. I chose this particular translation because a lot of people want to make a theological move in their translation 
that I want you to be able to make a move about. The Greek underneath this is, it would take a, a sentence in order to explain what the Greek underneath this word sincere is. And what this translation has done is to lift two words out of the Latin Vulgate Bible and just lay them on the page. So sincere comes from the Latin and it means sincera. It says sincera. Sin means without and sera means wax. It means without wax. So that probably sounds weird to you. Anybody ever been to a tourist trap? I grew up um, down south. We had this thing called South of the Border. You ever heard of that? You ever driven up and down the East Coast? It's this, don't go there. Uh, or Stuckey's, or, uh, well, I suppose the Dells is probably like it. You know, where you, you, trinket stores. You ever been to a trinket store where they got like little thimbles with every state on them and little bicycle plates with kids' names on them and stuff like that? And then they got stuff that looks really nice, but is actually really cheap. Okay. Well, the marketplace, the Agora, um, in Jesus' time had scam artists too. Anybody here collect porcelain? Hummels? Yeah, okay. So there's fine porcelain, and then there's everyday porcelain. Fine porcelain has no cracks in it. It's fired with meticulous care, and if even a crack shows up in it, it's passed over and made into everyday dishware, right? But unscrupulous dealers of porcelain in the marketplace would take paraffin wax like these candles and rub it into the cracks and then sell cheap porcelain as fine porcelain. So in other words, what it's saying is to be with wax is to be to look like something that you're not, to, to feign perfection. Now here's Jesus, who's actually perfect, and they're saying that there's no wax in his cracks, that he is being exactly who he appears to be. He doesn't have two faces. He lets his broken stuff show. He lets his humanity show. Right? Um, you ever been in an old house with porcelain doorknobs? Maybe we could flip this for a second. Flip that screen. You ever seen those old doorknobs like that? That is sincera, without wax, exactly as it appears to be. Right? The one on the right, is that fine porcelain or cheap porcelain? Kind of hard to tell. So if we can flip back to our passage, what Jesus is calling us to, they don't come out and say, hey, Jesus, you're perfect. They come out and say, you are exactly what you appear to be. And Jesus is calling you to be like him. And what he is birthing in you is light. And he's placing that light inside you. 
And if the cracks in you are filled with falseness and wax, pretending to be perfect instead of just being who you are, that light can't come out because that light shines out of you through the very cracks that we spend so much time trying to hide. What does love look like? Love looks like that, just being real. Now, we also live in a narcissistic culture. It's not new to this generation. It's just out there a little more because of Facebook. But, you know, I kind of follow folks. I don't follow folks on Facebook, but I read Facebook because it's just the culture, right? And I see all kinds of little Facebook meme things about, oh, you got to accept me the way I am because, you know, it's just the way it is. If you don't like me, the heck with you. That is not what this is about. The spirit of that is entirely about self. The spirit of Jesus is entirely about love. And love isn't about self. There's a famous quote from Marilyn Monroe about, if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve to be with me at my best. Well, my response to that is, if you can't handle me at my worst, you know what? I get it. Because <laughs> that stuff is really bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> totally get that. So we can't use this idea of being sincere as an excuse for being toxic. What we do has consequences. What we put out there impacts people. We're just called, though, to not try to be something we're not. It only takes a handful in a church community trying to be perfect or pretend to be perfect to start to make the whole culture sick. If the expectation is perfection, we start with a lie because none of us are perfect. So just know that if Jesus is setting the example of living a life without wax, it means you're free to do that too. And there's something important at stake in your having the courage to do that. Now look, it took me a long time in my life to come to like who I am. And I'm going to tell you right now that a lot of us, God bless us, we spend a lot of time people-pleasing. And I don't want anybody to, it's, it's funny if you think about it, you know, I mean, the efforts we go through to make sure everybody's happy with us, if we, if we just give ourselves a break and laugh about it, it is kind of funny. <clears throat> but understand this, you've got to give yourself some slack because people-pleasing is a response to trauma. It's a survival mechanism. If you grew up in a household of control, where shame gets used to control you, there's a lot at stake in a little kid and pleasing people, making sure that they're happy with you. It took me, I don't know, 30 years to be able to just look at myself and say it's okay to be who I am. And the crazy thing is, folks, the more we embrace the idea that that's what love actually looks like, having the courage to be who we really are and just to be okay with who we really are, something weird happens. Do you know what happens 
when you start being who you really are? What's that? We do get better. We get healthier, but another weird thing happens. Some people aren't going to like you. That's weird. It's real. So let me go a little deeper, and then we'll see what we can mine out of this. So we know that you are, you got no wax in your cracks, and you show no deference to anyone, for you do not regard people with par partiality. It's playing favorites, folks. It's the heart of corruption. It's being one thing in one crowd and another thing in another crowd. It's treating one kid one way and another kid another way. It's meeting out love with a teaspoon in response to something you're getting. Partiality. It's playing favorites, picking sides, telling one truth one way and another truth another way. And anytime that starts to happen, it's not about the other person, it's about what we might get out of it. So at the same time that these political parties are trying to get Jesus to admit to some partiality, he just won't do it. He says, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. When we are raised or encounter in other spaces, you, look, this can happen to anybody. It may not have been in your family of origin. It could have been something negative that happened at school or the being bullied or all these vagaries and pains and traumas that we experience early in our childhood that make it make us think that it's unsafe to be who we really are, that we won't be welcomed, that we won't be loved, that we're not enough, that if we don't prove ourselves worthy by pleasing somebody, then we aren't worthy of love. And if we come up in that and we don't just stop for a minute and examine, do we do this? We end up exhausted, tired all the time because... We're having to be somebody different for everybody that we encounter. And the more that we do that, the harder it is to even remember who we really are. I'm, I'm going to control your impression of me because I know you want this from me, so I'm going to be this here, but wait, here comes somebody else. I'm going to turn this way, and I'm going to be this person for this person. And God bless us all. Because in that process, we stop being a human being and just become a human doing. And we lose track of the person God created us to be. So we're going to have a couple minutes to talk about this. This idea that we are cracked porcelain. It's just the way it is. It's the way God works with us. It's the way light and healing and goodness moves through the world. And if we take time trying to just cover up those imperfections and try to be perfect, I'm not sure that we can really love or be loved in the way that God loves and desires to be loved. So if you all want to just take a minute, 
Is everybody kind of around somebody they could talk to? If you're here for the first time, it's going to be a little strange for you. But I believe that God's word is moving in our midst. So rather than telling you to talk about this or talk about that, I'm just going to ask you all to take a minute and talk with each other about what your takeaway is today. About being without wax. About not worrying about what people think of you so much as being somebody that people can count on. Take a minute and talk with one another. stand just sit here for a benevolent offering mm -hmm. yep all right I'm gonna kind of begin to wrap us back up hopefully everybody's had a chance to, to share a little bit and I want to bring us back together with kind of a closing thought Jesus teaches the way of God in accordance with the truth I think we should approach that part of this really humbly because the only truth any of us have is what God chooses to reveal to us. I have people in my life that I have told, please tell me the truth as best you know it because there are things at stake that could wreck this whole community if I'm doing something wrong. But if we really are coming at this humbly, I mean, I, I hear it all the time. People are like, I'm going to go tell that person the truth. <laughs> no, maybe you're just being a jerk, you know? Um, but I'm going to offer you a way to do this in a way that's sincere, that allows you to, to let your cracks out, to admit that I'm not the truth, Jesus is the truth. That when somebody comes to us looking for the truth, let them come to us. Don't go out there looking for somebody to tell the truth to. I don't answer questions that aren't being asked because those folks aren't listening anyway. But when that moment comes, I remind people that I'm not the truth, but I know who is. And I know where to find his word. And maybe what we can do is seek out his truth together. Let's see what the Bible has to say about this. Let's see if we can together find the truth. Because the truth isn't in me, it's not in you, it's in him. He's the truth. He's the light. And the only way that light gets shared is if we can allow our cracks to show, if we can live in our imperfections, and just share this journey together as equals. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time we'll take our benevolent offer.